Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning and welcome to Kensington Unitarian Sunday Gathering. Welcome to those of you joining us online and to those of you gathered here in person at Essex Church here in Notting Hill, London. And for those of you I've not met before, I'm Sarah Tinker. I used to be minister here and now I have been happily put out to grass in East London. Now today's service is a bit of a personal treat for me because we're celebrating the life and the work of composer and musician William Byrd, who died 400 years ago in July 1623. And it's thanks to our uh, pianist today, George Ireland, for finding such great pieces that could be played on a piano. Byrd was a Catholic who composed for the Protestant court of Queen Elizabeth. I want to use his life story and his music to illustrate the ways in which the spirit can transcend human limitations of one sort of religion or another. So let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to comprehend the remarkable diversity of human spirituality in our world. So many religions, sects, creeds and doctrines, it can seem overwhelming at times, can't it? And it can seem unbearably divisive at times too. And yet, if we go beyond differences, we may find unity, oneness. And it's that, that message of oneness in diversity that encouraged me to join a Unitarian community all those years ago the oneness of all that is. So I invite you all to take a companionable breath together now. And as we breathe in and breathe out, let's remember, let's remember that oneness lying at the core of all existence. And may this chalice flame, one light shining out as a beacon to us all, oh, may this one light remind us of all that we hold in common, one people living one life on this, our one planet Earth home. Now, if you're here in person and you're lucky, you will have one of these green sheets, but I'm so mean I probably haven't printed quite enough, but maybe people can share if they haven't got one. Um, so we have um, as our first hymn today, it's a new hymn called Remember the Flame That Guides. It's written by our Unitarian Minister and Welsh Secretary, Melda Grantham to the Beach Boys tune, Sloop John B. And that itself is based on a folk song from the Bahamas, I believe. Now, I reckon, uh, you could argue against this, but I reckon that the Beach Boys could give William Byrd a run for his money <laughs> in writing complex vocal harmonies. But we're just gonna sing a simple version today, although do feel free to take on any harmony you want if you feel so moved. 
And do feel free to join in singing uh, the words that you'll find on your screen or on this sheet, or simply enjoy listening. Melda's written some great lyrics here, I think. Here's the words of the last verse with the kind of intonation. Remember both friend and foe as on our journeys we go and strive to live our lives in harmony, respecting the earth and each person's worth and love will show us what our world can be. Take it away, George. And I think if we look at our order of service now, we're moving on to a time of prayer and reflection. And this prayer is particularly um, for the founding of our National Health Service. You may have heard on the news this week that it's the 75th anniversary of the founding of the NHS so passionately steered into being by the commitment of Welsh politician Nye Bevan. At its core is the principle of a health service for all people, free at the point of need. Still admired the world over, yet our health service feels very much under pressure through decreased funding and increased human needs. So do join me now in a time of reflection and prayer for all peoples of this world, that they may receive the health care they need when they need it. Spirit of life and love, help us to care for one another and help us to distribute resources more fairly in a world where a few have so much and many have so very little. As we in Britain give thanks for our National Health Service and for those who work within it, may they be paid fairly. May their working conditions be reasonable. 
may they show true compassion for those they assist. Let us celebrate all those who work for scientific improvement in healthcare. Give thanks for all that is being achieved. And let's celebrate also those who work in holistic ways to care for the whole person at every stage of their life. We pray for all those in hospital this day that they may receive the best of care. As we pray for those in our own community and families and friendships groups who may be struggling at times to get the care they need. And in a few moments of quiet now, there is space for our own thoughts, our own prayers for those we know to be in need this day. We creatures who live and know that we will die, may our journeys through life be blessed with gentle touch, wise guidance, and the inspiration to live our best lives in service to the greater good of all. Amen. We've got a lovely reading now. Um, it's called More Than We Deserve by Robert R. Weston. And in this short piece, he's a Unitarian Universalist minister, Robert Walsh. And he's playing with the idea of, well, what have we done to deserve this in a nice way? He thinks of composer Johann Sebastian Bach's music. He thinks of spring flowers and lovers. And he sees them all as unearned gifts in life gifts that we can only appreciate and be grateful for. So I wonder what unearned gifts you might be appreciating at this moment. This is what he writes. I heard the second Brandenburg concerto played in honor of Bach's 300th birthday, and I was swept away. I remembered a story about the people who sent messages into outer space and somebody suggested sending a piece by Bach. And the reply was, oh, but that would be bragging. Some say we get what we deserve in life, but I don't believe it. And we certainly don't deserve Bach. What have I done to deserve the second Brandenburg concerto? I have not been kind enough. I have not done enough justice. I have not loved my neighbor or myself sufficiently. I have not praised God enough to have earned a gift like this. Life is a gift we have not earned and for which we cannot pay. There is no necessity that there be a universe, no inevitability about a world moving towards life and then self-consciousness. There might have been nothing at all. Since we have not earned bark or crocuses or lovers, 
The best we can do is express our gratitude for the undeserved gifts and do our share of the work of creation. Great words from Robert Weston there, I think. And it, it brings us to our next hymn, which is in our purple hymn book. Um, if you're here in person with the uh, hymn book, have a look at it. It's number 155. And it's written by Andrew Pratt, who's a Methodist minister and a prolific hymn writer. And this hymn is a, a cry for unity, for human unity through love. And Andrew's put his words to an old 16th century tune written by William Byrd's musical mentor, Thomas Tallis, who many of us love. And Thomas Tallis, and this tune became a staple of church music. It's written to a regular meter. And that churchgoers, I really like this idea, that churchgoers throughout the centuries will recognize this tune because it's been so often sung. It's known as Thomas Tallis's Canon, Tallis's Canon. So can we hear a verse through once just so we all get it? And then feel free to stand, sing, sit, simply listen, and the words will be on the screen for you to enjoy on Zoom. So we're moving um, into a time of meditation now. I'm starting with um, some words from the Irish writer and priest, John O'Donoghue, who writes about music's ability to take us to other realms, to help us transcend the everyday, the mundane. He writes, great music opens doorways into eternal presence. It educates and refines your listening. You begin to sense your own eternity in the echoes of your soul. Music is the perfect sister of silence. 
words by John O'Donoghue. So we're going to share some quiet time together now. So I invite you to get as comfy as you can for a good few minutes as these few words from me will lead into a few minutes silence and that will end with a chime from the bell and then George will be playing some beautiful Elizabethan dance music by William Byrd, Havan and Two Galliards. So let's each find our way of being for these next few minutes, ways that we encourage us to rest, to rest within our very being, letting busyness and any discomfort just drop away for a while if we can, resting in our seats or wherever we are right now, aware of the gentle force of gravity holding us in place, Imagining the strength of the earth beneath us. Perhaps feeling the air gently touching us as we breathe in the oxygen of life and release all that is no longer needed. We might like to raise and roll and lower our shoulders in a gentle stretch, allowing, allowing life's tensions to be released as we breathe out feeling our muscles softening and relaxing. And in this stillness we're creating, the invitation is to think of our favorite sounds, perhaps our ideal music or sounds of the natural world. Those sounds that perhaps help us to transcend the everyday. The sounds that take us to another level Give us a glimpse, perhaps, of the eternal, of that which contains all. So let's enjoy the fellowship of silence and stillness together now, which will end with a chime from our bell and lead into our music for meditation.
Thank you, George. That was beautiful. Real treat. Now we've got the Brian and Sarah double act. And this is for anyone who like us, like likes or has liked um, singing in a choir. I can see a few people here who've been choir people. You, you, yeah, we'll speak up. <laughs> right, we'll speak up. Come closer. Okay, I'm all right. Okay. Lands, yes, that's all right. Okay. Right, this reading, which we've adapted quite a bit, uh, was collaboratively written by almost every member of the choir of the Unitarian Universalist Community Church in Augusta. The choir members were asked to respond in 50 words or less to the question, why do you sing? And then they've woven portions of their responses into this reading, which we're going to read as a conversation. Um, so I wonder how we'd all answer that question. Why do we sing? Singing is an act of creation, of bringing into the world something that wasn't there before. Singing is a natural expression of my spirit. And at the same time, it can be soothing, energizing, crying, laughing, angelic, or down in the dirt blues. It's all good. Singing is energy going out into the world to create even more sympathetic energy. It can change the world. I sing to create an uplifting atmosphere for myself and others to dispel that bleak midwinter. I sing for the pure joy of it. I sing for that spine-tingling sensation when you know you and your fellow singers have touched those who listen. I sing because it opens doors inside and out. I sing because it helps me understand the power inside me and how to use it fearlessly and gently. Singing is alive with emotion and expressing myself that way, it makes me feel whole. Learning the songs that touch different people's hearts is a way of knowing them better. Music allows me to step into the emotional shoes of the composer, to step beyond an intellectual empathy with another person and imagine that I really feel what they wanted to convey. So even if the lyrics are not something I would write, I have a deeper understanding of another human being. Why do I sing? Yes, it feeds the soul. It brings me back to a childhood of singing in the car or while doing the dishes with my family. It engrosses me in something beautiful. And I especially love harmonic chords and the sounds that are made as different vocal lines are woven together into a whole. Music expands my world. And I love the challenge of making the notes all come together and blend with other voices. Making music together is the ultimate expression of uh, community harmony. Thank you, Brian, we did it. We did it. Worked. Yes. Just yeah. like a choir. Yeah, just like a choir. It all came together. So that's thank you to Brian and thank you to Carrie Johnson and to the choir of the Augusta Unitarian Universalist Church. Okay. 
Right, we've got a long bit of me now, but there'll be some really nice music right at the end. So just settle back. This reflection is called Music of Sundry Sorts. So I have enjoyed uh, a, a week of immersion in William Byrd's music as dear old Radio 3 and the BBC mark the 400th anniversary of his death in 1623. And as always, I guess, the, uh, the more I've learned about Byrd, the greater my musical and historical gaps of knowledge are actually shown to be. So forgive any blunders and omissions here. Really what I'm saying in this section can be summed up thus, that William Byrd was a key composer of the English Renaissance, who was regarded as a father of English church music, although after his death, his works in Latin almost disappeared from use and were only rediscovered and newly appreciated in the late 19th, early 20th century. He was equally well known for his secular music in Queen Elizabeth's reign when music and dance were so very popular. We know that Byrd followed his Catholic faith without imprisonment, having served under the Catholic Queen Mary as a choir boy in the Chapel Royal under the guidance of the aforementioned Thomas Tallis, Byrd went on to serve the Protestant Queen Elizabeth and then King James, and their patronage clearly gave him some protection against the laws at that time that punished Catholics for following their faith. It's thought that Queen Elizabeth was far more interested in music than she was in religion, and she clearly recognized Byrd's great abilities. Now, I don't know about you, but I have known and loved the work of Byrd and Tallis since my teenage years. But this week, I've learned so much more about him as a person. And of course, he wasn't the person that I thought him to be. Uh, I had him as a rather quiet, spiritual, cautious Catholic believer. But in fact, he was strong, stubborn, a really determined character who not only survived, but prospered in challenging times. He was remarkably litigious and he could bear a grudge as well as the best of us. Musicians in Elizabethan times, as probably today George would tell us, musicians then had to have a number of strings to their economic bow. It was hard to make a living from music then, as I reckon it is today for most people. So Bird made money as a landlord and he pursued his tenants' rents with vigour, never afraid to take them to court if needs be. And Tallis and Bird together negotiated a remarkable arrangement with Queen Elizabeth, whereby they two alone, the only musicians in the whole country, they had the patent, the sole right to publish printed music for 21 years in, in Britain. This was lucrative for them, as printed music was very popular. Um, the middle classes increasingly could afford to buy instruments, in the Elizabethan era, live music was being played in people's homes and was enlivening their social lives through song and dance. Now, if you've got an order of service in front of you, you could have a look at the quotation that I used 
for um, today's order of service. It comes from the preface to one such collection of birds' musical compositions. And it just makes me laugh because it sounds quite like a salesperson today advertising their wares. I wish I could do a Tudor accent for you, but I'll do my best. Benign reader, here is offered unto thy courteous acceptation music of sundry sorts and to content diverse humours. If thou be disposed to pray, here are psalms. If to be merry, here are sonnets. If to lament thy sins, here are songs of sadness and piety. There, he sold it to you, hasn't he? You're going to rush out and buy a, a copy. Bird had to market himself and his music to the general public, as well as to the Elizabethan court. And he was also helped by wealthy patrons. And much of his work was gathered together in collections dedicated to those who funded him, such as Mrs. Neville and the Earl of Salisbury. And we've heard pieces from those collections on the piano today. And some of these actual original printed collections can be seen in the British Library and other libraries around the country. We know that Bird was also more quietly, a lot more quietly, making collections of religious music for fellow Catholics. And it's these pieces that actually especially speak to me with those soaring harmonies and the combining of simplicity and complexity in sound. To be found with a copy of music for the Catholic mass in Latin could result in imprisonment. Yet Bird continued to write such pieces for just three, four, five voices, which could be sung in people's homes, allowing them to worship in the way they chose, even when it was illegal then for a Catholic priest to even enter the country. There's such a bravery there, isn't there, in that commitment to his chosen faith. It impresses me. And I was just so grateful that this music has survived to this day. Earlier on in our meditation, I spoke of music's ability to lift us, to lift us beyond the mundane, beyond everyday life and its concerns. And that's what the music of William Byrd and Thomas Tullis does for me. When listening to it, I can transcend life's limitations and its frustrations. I can find that higher place, just for a little while, perhaps. Music can certainly alter our moods, can't it, our emotions. So I wonder if other forms of music do that for you. I have at least one good friend who absolutely swears by the pop music of the 60s, especially the Beatles and the Beach Boys, as such a joyous way to take ourselves to another place and time, another state of being. Some of us respond, I think, to particular rhythms and styles of music. And for me, choral harmonies seem to touch my soul. So if life has so far not introduced you to birds' music, do give it a try. So I think I can sum up my entire week of immersion in the music of the English 16th and 17th century in three points. 
Our first reading spoke of life's unearned gifts and mentioned Bach's Brandenburg concertos. Let's share our favorite music with one another. Let's celebrate music as a remarkable gift that humanity has created or discovered. Let's help one another find the music that speaks directly to our souls, our hearts, our spirits. Then Bird's life was shaped, as all lives are shaped, by a complex response to and expression of politics, economics, religion, cultural aspects of the time in which we are born, mixed in with our personalities and the backgrounds we were born into. Each of us is existing within our own context. It's a context that is shared to some extent with others, yet it's still ours to bring our unique shape to. And that's what William Byrd was, a unique and complex human being. At the start of my exploration, I had that simplistic story about him. Well, now I've had a glimpse of the unfathomable, contradictory, hugely creative and practical being that he was, a survivor in challenging times. And I'm giving thanks for the life and work of William Byrd, truly one of the founding fathers of English musical composition. Amen. And we get to sing again now. I really like this last hymn. It always makes me smile. It's number 39 in the Purple Book. And it takes the challenge head on of how to find a rhyme for God. So if you pay attention, you'll hear at least two chosen rhymes. It's called For the Splendor of Creation. It's sung to Gustav Holt's inspiring tune. It's a hymn of gratitude for humanity's noble enterprises. So let's sing it in the hope that humanity can live up to its noble potential. Hymn number 39.
marvellous. Do sit down. Well, my announcements now, and my thanks go to George Ireland for a particularly splendid piano playing today. I think dear William Bird would have been a little bit pleased with us, if somewhat confused. And thank you to Ramona and Charlotte for technical support and to all of you for coming to church, be that in person here or online. It's great you come and join us. Thank you to Brian for reading, and uh, if you would like to read sometime, do let your minister, Jane Blackall, know. It's always great to hear different voices. Now, details of various activities are on the back of the order of service today and also in the Friday email, so do sign up for that if you're not getting it at the moment. Remember, we have these wonderful online gatherings called Heart and Soul uh, each Sunday and Friday evening, and this week the theme is traveling. It's a really nice way to just be together with other people and, uh, yeah, pray and share things. There's an outing to the Tate Britain on Wednesday the 12th of July, which I think is this coming Wednesday. Um, so there are details there of how to find Heidi and let her know that you're coming. Don't forget we have dance classes with our one and only Sonia, who I think is online today. Hello, Sonia. Um, those are Friday in person here at the church, but there's also, I think, a Wednesday class. Check that with Sonia online. Uh, next week's service will be taken by uh, the Reverend Dr. Jane Blackall, and there's a singing class on the last Sunday of the month. And I think, Patricia, you're going to remind us that you're all invited to a party. Hi, a lot of you have now signed up for the lunch on the 23rd after the celebratory service. If you haven't, could you please do so as quickly as possible because I need to let the caterers know how many she's catering for. And Heidi wanted me to say, at the moment there's only she and me going to take Britain on, Thursday, on Wednesday. Ah, so Carolyn's coming as well. So if you are free, why don't you come along? Thank you. I'm going to make the coffee now. Oh, God. Go, 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 isn't it? Yes, highly recommend the Tate uh, trip and the party on the 23rd of July. We're particularly thanking Harold Lorenzelli for 50 years of singing for us in church. And he's one of the few people who remembers the old building that was on this site. So there will be stories to tell, I'm sure. But let's ready ourselves for our closing words now, which will be followed by William Byrd's cheering Salvatore Monday to Saviour of the World. And as we hear that, maybe let's just think of all the ways that we might be small saviours of this world, for it is in need of our efforts. So words now from Richard Gilbert. By our presence here with one another, Hearing the harmony that is the music of the spheres, may some of the harshness and discord of our human lives be transmuted into music. A new song in our hearts may there be, and a new harmony in our beings, so that we shall return to our several duties with fresh courage and with eagerness and with rejoicing. Amen. Go well, all of you, and blessed be. Um.